1: NOW, FROM OUR NATION'S CAPITAL, THIS IS BLOOMBERG SOUND ON. THE SAME PEOPLE WHO GAVE BIDEN LOW MARKS and APPROVAL GAVE EXTREMELY HIGH MARKS TO THE HARD INFRASTRUCTURE BILL. DEMOCRATS DIDN'T SHOW UP. THEY WERE NOT MOTIVATED. They're not excited. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. The national
2: trends of the Democrat Party definitely woke a lot of people up that they needed to get out and vote. The Biden
3: administration seems to hate the oil and gas
1: industry. and It's one of the reasons gas prices are so high. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio.
4: Live from the mothership in New York today, welcome to the fastest hour in politics. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. On Bloomberg Radio, President Biden reminds us the first Veterans Day in two decades without American troops fighting a war overseas. We'll discuss the significance of that and why Congress is slow walking military funding for next year as well. With Congressman Jake Auchincloss, Democrat from Massachusetts, a combat veteran Marine who led infantry in Afghanistan. He'll be with us in a moment. The White House says it has the solution to inflation. And it's the same thing Republicans say is causing inflation. We're gonna get into the impact of infrastructure and social spending, the Biden agenda, with Mark Zandi, Chief Economist at Moody's Analytics a bit later this hour. Our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Jeannie Shanzano, along with Japin Fay, Republican strategist, founder of Lighthouse Public Affairs, both here for the hour. And happy Veterans Day to all who served our country. Yes. As we open with the sounds of the New York City Veterans Day Parade. Marching up Fifth Avenue, a beautiful sight today. All while the National Defense Authorization Act goes nowhere fast on Capitol Hill, generating a lot of questions about when it might become law, not to mention a pile of bills written to help our veterans, and we're joined by one to start the program today. Congressman Jake Auchincloss, Democrat from Massachusetts, as I mentioned, fought as a Marine in Afghanistan where he commanded an infantry unit in Helmand Province. We last spoke with him during the withdrawal from Afghanistan, and he's back with us today. Congressman, I wish I had the Marine Corps hymn for you there. I just realized what I did wrong, but thank you for being with us, and happy Veterans Day to you.
5: Dallas and uh, from the halls of Montezuma, don't worry, I'll play it myself. <laughs> I bet you will. President Biden today
4: spoke at Arlington National Cemetery to mark the occasion. For two decades,
2: the lives of our service members and their families and veterans have been shaped by the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. Since 9-11, hundreds of thousands of Americans have served. So many are still serving today in harm's worry, and we cannot forget them.
4: Indeed, the first Veterans Day without a war underway in two decades. But Congressman, to the president's point, there are still many Americans in uniform in dangerous places. I wonder if at this point, after weeks have gone by, do you think there should still be a a small troop presence in Afghanistan?
5: I think the president made the right decision about Afghanistan. There was no glory in his decision, but there was integrity. We're going to be judged On Afghanistan really by three metrics in the coming decade. The first is is going to be whether we can maintain basic humanitarian protections for the Afghan people. This winter is going to be a winter of privation and starvation if we cannot get humanitarian aid to the Afghan people. Number two, whether we can prevent Afghanistan from devolving into a narco terror state. Their meth trade uh, fuels terrorist training camps. We have to prevent that from happening. Number three, we must elbow out China from trying to gain hegemony over rare earth mineral mining in Afghanistan. Copper uh, and, uh, and lithium are in great supply there. China wants control over those supplies as part of its stranglehold on the global supply chain of the critical elements in IT and energy.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Those are the three missions. We can pursue those three missions without a military footprint there that was keeping us hamstrung in our orientation to the Indo-Pacific, and that was not accomplishing the mission.
4: It was ugly. We talked about it in the midst of that withdrawal, uh, Congressman. Do you think the worst is over in terms of the terror threat in Afghanistan?
5: That is one of the three key imperatives we have going forward, is to prevent the worst from happening. The Taliban and potentially ISIS-K appear to be looking at using meth and the meth trade, along along with the opium trade, to fund part of their government. And potentially to fund terrorist training camps, that cannot be allowed to happen. No terrorists with the will and capability to strike the U.S. homeland can ever be allowed to operate camps in Central Asia. And we maintain both unmanned aerial systems as well as special operations capabilities to prevent that from happening. But perhaps even more urgently right now, we need to get humanitarian aid to the Afghan people. They are facing privation this winter time. And although it is appropriate to use economic aid and our financial leverage over the Taliban to get concessions from them. We cannot use the Afghan people as a a source of leverage because their suffering must be ameliorated. I
4: want to ask you about a couple of uh, other related issues here, Congressman. You are one of, as I understand, 76 veterans serving in Congress, that according to the House Committee on Veterans Affairs. And I will tell you, I was surprised how high that number was. I didn't expect to see 76. And I'm I'm guessing that's not 76 combat veterans, but that's a different conversation. There are more than 40 at my count, 40 bills pending in the U.S. Congress in the House Veterans Affairs Committee to help veterans. Everything from mental health uh, to assistance on any number of, uh, of, of issues, housing, nursing homes, grants, and so forth. Some of these go back. I'm scrolling right now through this list, Congressman. Some of them go back to the very beginning of this year. What is taking so long?:
5: I just held a town hall in my district with veterans and heard from them that as we uh, as we address their needs, we need to be sure that we're treating the whole veteran, not just the immediate casework issue, not just the immediate physical health care issue, but mental health needs, housing needs. When you are able to make contact with a veteran who is at needing government assistance, use that as an opportunity to find what other services they may need and to maybe pull them out of social isolation that they, that they uh, might be experiencing. I um, also have co-sponsored legislation that would uh, address exposure by veterans to toxins in the air from burn pits, which I think yeah. is going to be an important update Uh, There is a lot of legislation in Congress right now that has been bottled up. Uh, We have a backlog after four years under the Trump administration that was totally uninterested in governing, least of all for veterans. And we need to address a whole portfolio of urgent needs for the U.S. economy and for the U.S. people.
4: If there were more than 76 veterans in the House, do you think these would be laws by now?
5: I think that the low percentage of veterans in Congress, and by my understanding, it's the lowest since World War II, although I'll I'll fact check myself on that. Um, I think that that has negative impacts across the board. It, It is easier to work with fellow veterans on the other side of the aisle. There's a muscle memory there for putting aside personal ambition and uniting in a common purpose. Absolutely.
4: I want to ask you about the National Defense Authorization Act, and I'm wondering where your head is on this. This is the annual effort, of course, to fund our military, to pay our troops, to buy the hardware that is needed to protect them and and war fighting tools that they need uh, to bring the war to the enemy. It's been sitting around for some time now and there is concern that it will be used as leverage to get a lot of other things done, Congressman. Why hasn't this moved through the Senate yet? And and would you like to see this get a vote next week?
5: The NDAA is uh, overly... uh, is spending too much on the Department of Defense. As you mentioned in your intro, I'm a Marine veteran myself. Joining the Marine Corps was the second best decision I ever made after asking my wife to marry me. I love the US military, it's one of the great institutions. Uh, But the Pentagon is also the biggest bureaucracy in the world, and I've never seen a bureaucracy, government or business, that can't do 10% more with 10% less. We had his pastime to give the Pentagon a 10% cut and ask them to focus in on the highest impact programs, policies, procedures, and uh, troop levels to accomplish a mission in the Indo-pacific now that we're winding down two forever wars in Central Asia and the Middle East.
4: do you have any reason to believe that the Senate will pick this up as some are saying next week?
5: In general, the NDAA has been a bipartisan initiative in, in Congress's past, and, and I do think that that's going to remain here. Now, like I said, I'm, I'm not in support of this current spending level for the Pentagon. I think we should be giving them a haircut, but uh, I the track record is that, that Congress does tend to come together to pass the NDAA, yes.
4: I believe Republicans on the uh, committee got another $25 billion if if I remember correctly, into that bill. You're calling for uh, a deeper cut than that. What would you give up in the process?
5: Well, I think that Congress's role is to set high level strategy and to set high level spending limits and then to allow the experts at the Pentagon to decide how they want to allocate resources within there. Mm -hmm. I'll say that my overarching direction to the Pentagon would be now that we are leaving two land wars in Asia and orienting toward the Indo-Pacific, probably makes sense to plus up the Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps and to look real hard at active duty troop levels for the Army and whether we need half a million active duty troops.
4: How about that? So it's troops you're looking at uh, more than hardware, for instance. Should we buy as many F-35s as, as we have ordered?
5: Both. Yeah, the F-35 has a $1.7 trillion total lifetime cost, and it has not proven itself yet worthy of that price tag. I want to say that again. $1.7 trillion lifetime uh, asset cost there for the F-35. Yeah. I'm sure it's a great airplane. Uh, I have yet to meet a $1.7 trillion piece of gear that's worth that cost, though.
4: Well, it's interesting because we hear a lot about competition with China, and some folks think we're on the verge of another arms race. Do you see that being the case? Are we on the the threshold of a Cold War with China? That would would demand more spending from that view, Congressman.
5: I think a a top-level designation of a new Cold War, I think, is a very unhelpful framework with China. We're competing with China in a number of different domains, diplomatic in Southeast Asia, for example, economic, uh, military hardware, we're competing with them ideologically we're competing with them in terms of epidemiology uh with sinovax versus the u.s vaccines and how we invest in infrastructure in africa and uh in in the near abroad for for the for chinese so to just to call it a cold war i think doesn't really capture what we're talking about yeah in terms of the direct military threat of china though the most explosive part in the world is the taiwan strait and we need to evaluate and we need the u.s navy air force army and marine corps to evaluate what are the capabilities from their war games that are surfacing as being necessary to prevent a a standoff in the taiwan strait from deteriorating into a hot war and what what kind of training do we need to provide the taiwanese army to uh to improve their chances
4: congressman jake Auchincloss, democrat from massachusetts Happy Veterans Day and thank you for your service.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio.
4: As we assemble the panel on this Veterans Day, welcome to Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Joe Matthew as we join you live from New York at the world headquarters. And great to see you along with the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano is with us from Washington, along with Chapin Fay, Republican strategist and founder of Lighthouse Public Affairs. It's great to have you both with us. Chapin, I'm going to start with you because I'm lucky to have you in studio here. The conversation about uh, military spending. The National Defense Authorization Act has been sitting around for weeks at this point, months, actually, I guess, a couple of months. And there's been a thought that it would be used for leverage as we walk up on the end of the year. You know, the holiday deadline is what actually makes things happen uh, at the end of the calendar year here. And we're creeping up on Thanksgiving. There's a thought it might get a vote next week, but also there's a thought uh, that that's, uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, could attach a bunch of things to it as he dares Republicans like you to vote no. Is that how you see this playing out?
3: You know, I think so. I think, uh, you know, is there ever a bill where things aren't uh, attached to it? Well, sure. Um, you know, um, so I, I do think there will be some some unrelated stuff in there. And, you know, it's a way for the Democrats to get wins. I mean, they really, they, you know, the infrastructure bill just passed, but that's really the only win the National Democrats have had for, has to give a good amount of time, and they're looking for wins. So if, if the Senate Majority Leader can attach some things and force some uncomfortable votes yeah. uh, for his colleagues, you I see think that happening. would be smart of him. It probably will happen.
4: That's politics, Jeannie. Uh, we just talked with Congressman Auchincloss, and this is a man who carried a machine gun in Helmand Province, leading other young Americans into harm's way, and says that the defense budget in this NDAA should be cut. Is he right?
6: Yeah, and I'm jealous that you two are both in New York I and Where I am you? missing you. <laughs> What's going on <laughs> um, You know, I, I thought that was a fascinating interview and to hear from, as you mentioned, um, one of the many veterans in Congress saying that he thought that, that the National Defense Authorization Act should be cut. And he even talked about some ways in which he might consider doing that, including the F-35. Mm-hmm. I thought that was fascinating. Um, you know, I do think there's an argument that that Democrats have been making for some time that, as he said, that it could be a haircut to a certain extent. He mentioned, for instance, Army troops as a possibility. Mm-hmm. As we think and we turn toward the Indo-Pacific, do we need to rethink how we are spending? And so I do think that is an important conversation to have. I also think it's important to remember that President Trump vetoed the NDAA in part over Section 230. So, you know, there's a lot of back and forth on this, and I do think it's something that Democrats should push through this time around.
4: I'll tell you, Chapin, a lot of people say we're right on the verge of something major with China here and cutting back our military now. Whether you need all of these fighter jets or all of these uh, uniformed troops, whether you need them, the point is showing force. It's a projection of American power. Where are you on that when we're we're talking about uh, spending trillions on
3: a social agenda and worried about inflation right now? Well, I think you're exactly right about that. I mean, there is no place in the world that is safer now than there was than it was a year ago. Um, and while I do agree that, especially with Pentagon budgets, there's always ways to cut, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you always read about the $10,000 hammers and yeah, things to fix true. problems. So there are always ways to cut. But when you get into troops and equipment, I mean, we just left billions behind in Afghanistan, billions of dollars worth of equipment. And you know, China is rearing its head. North Korea is testing missiles. I mean, there are there could be any number of, um, you know, hot zones across the world. And I just don't think now is the time to do that. And that, you know, Joe Biden and the Democrats have to decide, do they want to ram down every single one of their wish lists and, you know, climate justice and all these things that are in these bills, or they want to do the things that, um, you know, need to be done to address inflation and also fund the military.
4: I would encourage everybody, Jeannie, to take a look at, as I mentioned, the uh, House Veterans Affairs Committee website, take a look at the number of bills that have been sitting on the shelf waiting for action here uh, in, in the committee. And this goes all the way back to, as I scroll down again, back to the beginning of February. Everything from Internet access to nursing home access to housing to health care, Jeannie, How can this many, almost over 40 of these bills are sitting on the shelf. Does it say that we need more veterans in Congress? How do you train lawmakers attention on this?
6: And and that is in keeping with what we see with most legislation, whether it's about veterans or not. One of the things I always have students do is look at the likelihood of passage of a number of bills in Congress. And all of them are usually about, you know, one to two percent. So this is not unusual. You know, it brings you back to Schoolhouse Rock. These bills sit on the hill without passage. I I, I would just want to go back for one minute and say about U.S. and China military spending. We spend $649 $649 billion, number one in the world, versus China, who is second at $261 billion. So, you know, we can trim and we can reinvest some of that money in things like China is doing in helping to build a, you know, build back better international, if you will, to compete with the Silk and Road Initiative. So, you know, we have other ways in which we have to invest to compete with China, not just on sheer military spending the way we normally define it.
4: We're going to get in to the the big debate about taxing and spending and inflation coming up with Mark Zandi, and I'll pull you two into this as well, but before we get that far, the congressman mentioned, and I don't think it was an accident, Chapin, $1.7 trillion, the lifespan cost of the F-35. Something else costs $1.7 trillion that is floating around Washington right now, and that's the Build Back Better plan that some think will get a vote next week. Is this just a question of priorities here? Or are we going to spend all of this money? It's 1.7 trillion times two. It's a big argument between Democrats and Republicans right now. Where should our shopping list be?
3: Well, it should be a question of priorities, and that's what Congress should be debating. But we live in an era where it's extreme polarization on both sides, and it's much more ideological fights. So there aren't going to be too many compromises in these spending bills. But you don't favor a cut in Pentagon spending, right? I would favor a cut in, spend, in Pentagon spending if it was, you know, just waste, fraud, and abuse, I think, would right. would be a decent amount of money to be taken out of the budget.
1: Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston, Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119 and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and Bloomberg Radio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Thanks for spending part of your day with us
4: on Bloomberg Sound On as we join you live from world headquarters in New York today. The White House quotes him frequently when arguing that the Biden economic agenda is not causing inflation, won't cause more inflation. I'm referring to Mark Zandi the chief economist at Moody's Analytics. He made news over the summer. You remember this? His take, his research, showed inflation was not tied to infrastructure or social spending. And well, if you ever listen to this program, you know a lot of people disagree with that. Most Republicans who have ever been on this program see it differently. And lately, markets do too. Especially after the CPI came out yesterday showing inflation running much hotter than expected. And a lot of folks are worried about where it's going with supply chain concerns and with trillions more spending in the pipeline and tax increases to pay for it. So we wanted to get back in touch with Mark to see where his head is now. Mark Zandi, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. Thank you, Joe. It's good to be with you. Always a pleasure. You turned a lot of heads last July when we talked about your research at that point, arguing that the Biden economic agenda, infrastructure and social spending would boost the economy without causing runaway inflation now that we're talking about inflation 24 hours a day here and the market's starting to get nervous do you
2: feel the same way now i do yeah i don't i don't think the inflation we're observing now is anything to do with build back better agenda, certainly or even the american rescue plan which was the fiscal stimulus plan passed back in march this has everything to do with the pandemic particularly the delta variant which really hit our our economy hard but hit the rest of the world even harder particularly asia and even more specifically, Southeast Asia, where a lot of the supply chains begin, and those supply chains just got completely scrambled and caused shortages and higher inflation. And but all, the Delta also did a lot of damage to our job market. You know, a lot of people got sick, yeah. taking care of sick people. You know, fearful of getting sick, so uh, that uh, you know caused wages to rise and prices to rise more quickly. So I I chalk all this up to. pandemic the delta wave and has nothing to do with the fiscal policy
4: you did warn back in the spring that inflation was at our doorstep here and it sure is did you think it would be this hot by now
2: no i was surprised by uh the yet the october uh, consumer price report that came out uh on on wednesday it was uh i knew it was gonna be ugly uh I, I but it was hard to look at joe yeah uh, it was yeah and it was broad based the price increases were broad-based. so no i i was surprised by that but i talked that up to the vagaries of data you know I, I look at a lot of data and uh you know it's always a bit of a surprise because uh, uh you know there's a lot of things going on and and uh the vagaries of the data uh you know, you know cause these kinds of surprises but the the you know, fundamentally, what's going on, uh, my view of what's fundamentally going on here has not changed uh, as a result of uh, of that.
4: We talk to lawmakers every day on this program, and frequently Republicans uh, beat the inflation drum and point the finger at the Biden administration, making the case that, number one, the amount of spending that's happening uh, already under President Biden's watch is adding to inflation and going further to pass the, this reconciliation bill, the Build Back Better plan, Uh, whether it's, you know, 1.75 or $3 trillion will only make it worse. Are they wrong?
2: Yeah, I don't get that argument. I mean, uh, you know, the American rescue plan, I mean, the the kind of the logic is, okay, I I provide all this fiscal support. That means more government spending, stimulus checks, unemployment insurance that supports demand and produces up demand. And then therefore that results in more inflation. But the thing is, uh, demand weakened. You know the Delta vir- uh, variant hit uh, in the third quarter. You know July, August, and September is when it was really raging. That not only caused inflation to rise, but it nailed uh, demand. Uh, you know the economy. Remember GDP, Joe. That the, for the third quarter, that barely grew. Yeah, right. And a lot of that was because of weak consumer spending. So the the logic does just doesn't hold. So no, I I don't think you can connect the dots between this inflation and you know, the American Rescue Plan. I, I I don't think that's what's going okay. on. And the Build Back Better agenda, we can talk about that at length in terms of its inflationary impact, but bottom line, I I don't see that adding appreciably to inflation. So
4: let's spin the question around and ask you kind of the opposite way. President Biden, not just yesterday, everyone seemed to notice him at the port of Baltimore kind of opening with his remarks about inflation. But even months ago said "The, the higher prices you're paying for everything from food to gas will be helped by my economic agenda. Do you see it happening the opposite? Is this the cure? Is more spending the cure for inflation?
2: Well, I I think uh, lifting long-term economic growth would ease inflation, all of those being equal, and I think that's a big part of the Build Back Better agenda. Is that a capacity argument,
4: though? What is it, if you could explain to us? and We have some pretty smart people, smarter than I, listening to this right now when it comes to (laughs) the economy. How would that work? Yeah. Well, take public infrastructure.
2: I mean, I, I invest in roads, bridges, broadband. That makes us more productive. It lists productivity growth, lists long term economic growth, and all else being equal, that eases inflation. The social programs are designed in part to help support uh, labor force participation. You know, if I can help uh, low income households with their child care and their elder care. Yeah. Uh, and get them into the workforce. That lifts the size of the labor force. That eases inflationary pressures. And some parts of the Build Back Better agenda are designed specifically to address the cost of living. Take housing. I mean, there's a big part of of the penalty plan is to increase the supply of affordable rental housing. And we all know that's a big problem. Severe shortages resulting in very strong rent increases. We need more rental units for people of lower and middle incomes. And that, that does that. So, I can go on, but that, those are just examples of, sure. you know, what I mean. If,
4: if this puts many more people back to work, which is the promise, right? We're going to have thousands, potentially thousands of construction jobs opening here. Does that not add to wage inflation?
2: Well, if you don't have a lot of slack in the labor market, but I would yeah. argue we got a lot of, you know, slack. I mean, the unemployment rate's is 4.6. We were in the mid threes back in 2018-19. And, and, and more importantly than that, we've got millions of people who, stepped out of the workforce during the pandemic who haven't come back in because they're sick. They're you know taking care of sick people. They're fearful of getting sick or actually interestingly enough, Joe, uh, the, the lowest, the biggest impact on participation has been among parents with young kids because they're fearful. Their kids are going to get sick and they can't right. get jobs there. So
4: this comes so, back to COVID yeah. again, COVID lifts, more people go back to work. Wage pressure eases. Is that your view?
2: A- absolutely. That's the key here. So, you know, uh, I, the bottom line, this economy is still tethered to that pandemic. You got to get we got to get on the other side of this pandemic yeah. uh, to get back to you know something to get inflation down, get growth back and get back to something we feel comfortable about in our economy.
4: Well, lastly, then talk to us about what is transitory here. If you're still in that mindset, where are we going to be, you know, say the middle of 22 when when we're in the throes of the midterm campaigns?
2: Well, I think we're seeing the worst of the inflationary pressures right now, you know by by into my diagnosis what's going on, and you know as delta fades, the inflationary pressures should fade, so you know inflation c p i inflation say is six percent by mid next year, I'd say you know probably half that down to three mm-hmm. percent and then by you know spring of twenty twenty three summer twenty twenty three we're back to target, which would be on the consumer price index not you know something around two and a quarter to two and a half percent so that would be the trajectory so you know we'll we'll know if i'm right or wrong pretty soon here you know if i (laughs) I does it right or wrong you know i don't think inflation comes down rapidly i'm not saying next month or next quarter but I do think, you know, if I'm right, we should start to see signs that the inflationary pressures are starting to abate.
4: It is interesting, Mark. I guess somebody's going to have to be wrong here in Washington, but we'd like to stay in touch with you through this process <laughs> because you're actually researching this as opposed to simply talking about it. And I appreciate your insights today. Mark Zandi, Chief Economist, Moody's Analytics. Thanks, as always, for being with us on Bloomberg.
5: Anytime, Joe. Take care.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at Forum.com.
1: You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So Mark
4: Zandi is sticking by his guns. Yes, inflation is hot, but transitory. And Democrats' tax and spending plans, he says, will not make it worse. Mark pointing to the COVID recovery and supply chains, clogged supply chains for causing the worst of it. So let's talk this out with the panel. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano is with us for the hour along with Chape and Fay, Republican strategist, founder of Lighthouse Public Affairs, who also incidentally served as press secretary for former governor George Pataki, and it's great to have you both back here with us. Chapin, I'm going to start with you potentially, well, I'm assuming on the other side of this argument. You just heard from Mark Zandi, a smart guy who's done the research. A lot of people disagree with him on this. Does the Biden spending agenda, social spending, along with the infrastructure plan, make inflation
3: worse? Is that how we got here? I think so. I mean, if you even look at what um, the White House forecasting firms and, you know, surrogates are saying, they're saying that the, that the agenda will lower and address costs and inflation, yeah. but on a long timeline, maybe a year or longer, um, and it may make it worse in the interim. And I don't think that, that, you know, after the midterms last, I'm sorry, the election last week and heading into a, you know, highly contentious midterm mm-hmm. season, I don't think the Biden White House can afford to wait that long, uh, even if true. I mean, of course, there are those saying that this is only going to make it worse, uh, I'm one of those. I mean, if you look at just the spending um, parts of these bills, they a lot of them have nothing to do with economics. A lot of them have to do with uh, you know climate change and climate justice and environmental justice and all these different social uh, engineering that the Democrats have been trying to pass for a long time. They're going to cram it into these bills and yeah. call it you know an economic package. It's not really that you know. Um, so I I, I I I do think that it will make uh, inflation and costs worse in the short term. For Judy, sure.
4: President Biden just yesterday said. We know you're paying a lot more food, gas, everything. We know it's costing you a lot. If you want lower prices, then pass my economic agenda. Is that disingenuous to refer to these plans as a cure?
6: I don't think it's disingenuous, but I do think there's a big division or divide between the economics of this and the politics of this. So since I'm not an economist, I will leave that to Mark Zandi. have a ton of respect for him. I was taking notes, as I always do, Joe Matthew. He said inflation, <laughs> when you're interviewing, he said the CPI, we will be down to 3%, maybe yeah. mid next yep, year, and right. 2.25, 2.5 by spring 2023. The problem is for Joe Biden, whether that's right or wrong, politically it's too late for him so
4: you guys are saying the same thing
6: well well if you think about it right you're in november 1990 we're at this point six point three a year later it's less than half but it was too late for george bush the damage is already done politically and the reality of inflation is it hits people as they go in the grocery store as they go Mm -hmm. to fill up their car it is not like something like the debt ceiling that people scratch their head and don't understand this people understand because they're paying it every day so so there's a political price the president knows this he's not wrong about his bill being necessary and maybe helping but it may be too late if inflation stays this high
4: well maybe that's the issue maybe it's the messaging here okay so the country maybe needs uh this if if you're a democrat if you believe in the biden agenda child care expanded medicare paid leave these are things we need coming out of covid to try to get the country back on track and get people back to work shape and that's been a big part of this too how the heck do you get people back in the office, and the president seems to think that childcare is part of that, not to mention beating COVID. But why, in the same breath, say that that's going to lower inflation?
3: Well, I think he's struggling to find the right message, like you said, and yeah. just trying to get his agenda passed. Um, but I will tell you, the American people don't care. I mean, they're hearing these debates over whether the child care provision is going to make it more expensive or less expensive. Republicans are saying it's going to make it more expensive. Um, and those debates are things that the American people do not care about mm-hmm. as they're going to the gas station, you know, right. filling up their car for $100, trying to put, the American people are going to be dis- making decisions about what college they can afford to send their kids to or how much food they can buy that week at the grocery Store, while reality. Congress and the president are going to be debating, you know, these esoteric things, like you said, that they don't care about. Uh, and like Jeannie said, um, they are going to be feeling, you know, every day mm-hmm. as they, you know, fill up their gas tanks and, and, and buy, you know, buy anything. Let me lay another one on you, and that's the debt ceiling. We've talked about this a little bit this week, Jeannie,
4: but probably not enough because people aren't paying attention to what's coming right around the corner because it's going to be back to the future. In about another week's time, right, whether they get to this vote on reconciliation next week or not, we are looking at December 3rd for an expiration of government funding and a, and a deadline to address the debt ceiling, even as the bipartisan policy center says that, you know, we may actually get to go a little bit further than that before we hit the ceiling. But this is going to interrupt everything again, Jeannie. How come Democrats are not spending time talking about this right now? It's going to slow the roll on every other policy proposal we're talking about.
6: Joe, Matthew, you're probably going to have to kiss away much of your good Thanksgiving and Christmas (laughs) break. We are looking at three weeks. I'm sorry, Joe. We're looking at about three weeks that Congress is in from now until Christmas. And as you mentioned, they have the debt ceiling. They have the government shutdown. And Democrats, of course, want to pass this Build Back Better bill. They are talking about this. They are sweating this. The question is, how do they get this all done? And let's not forget. Well, they could
4: do it on their own right now, couldn't they?
6: Well, they could, except they don't want to. They don't want to add to the debt. We've
4: seen this movie a bunch of times just in the last couple of months, Jeannie. You know this. We talk about it every time.
6: We do. And and they may have to if Mitch McConnell doesn't blink, which he did last time. Mm. So they may have to do this. And let's not forget, this is also a period when traditionally you'll see people deciding after they go home whether or not they want to do this in the House, whether they want to run in the midterm again. So this is a fraught time for Democrats. They may have to go this alone. I can't can't imagine mitch mcconnell doing what he did last time but of course i said that last time and if we were (laughs) to fault that would be you know horrific for all of us
4: well he did promise us right he remember this he's look i'm going to help you get now you have all the time to work it out i bought you You said you needed time i bought you time don't come back and ask me again do you take Chapin? and do you take mitch mcconnell at his word?
3: Uh, Yeah, I take him at his word, but they they are going to come back again. And um, just like Jeannie pointed out, there are three major things that are going to happen over the next couple of weeks. And they can either pass them separately or they can cobble them together into the largest piece just of legislation that's yeah. yeah that's ever been passed in the history of the country and i think either scenario is going to be difficult for them and again when you get into the debates over these little portions and you know how you know the media works and how the republicans and the democrats will pick out one thing and you know start arguing about that it actually bogs it all down because we're not having one conversation about this we're having a bunch right. of conversations about it
4: so why not throw it all into one bill genie just like chapin said chapin's writing the bill for us here tonight and then put that in front of Joe Manchin and dare him to vote against reconciliation and cause the country to default.
6: Well... <laughs> you know, I wouldn't dare Joe Manchin on anything at this point. Um, you know, you know. listen, and I'm glad Chapin is writing the bill so we can go home and get this over with. So this makes I don't this know if much, I have that kind of time. <laughs> this makes it much, much easier. But, you know, I, I mean, I, I think Democrats have to be very careful here. Um, I, I don't think, you know, Joe Manchin has any inkling any more than anybody else in Congress, Republican or Democrat does for the U- U.S. government to default at this point. But I do think that Democrats, given these inflation, numbers, at least the moderates, the Chapman's and other ones among them are going to be thinking very, very carefully once they get this scoring done about what they can stomach and sign onto at this point and what they want to wait on. And I think the president is cognizant of that, which is why he's on the road starting next week, selling the hard infrastructure with which most people agree is what he should be doing.
4: Well, you know, I have I always have another layer And I'll add one now, and that is, of course, the president's decision on the Fed, or decisions. We talked about this at length uh, just the other day, Jeannie, and, you know, that could come at any moment as well, Chapin. So here we have reconciliation. We've got to get that done, I guess, next week was the hope, the plan by Speaker Pelosi and her agreement with progressives. We've got a debt ceiling that's about to uh, bump into something here, and then we've got government funding all the while president needs to decide on who's going to be the next chair of the fed and then what to do with the supervisory role and and the seats one open the one that's going to be open in february this has to be done now the markets don't like this last minute business do you expect an announcement on that imminently
3: Uh, i would hope so i mean these are you know this is uh this is what a president does these are big important decisions that affect people's everyday lives and i would hope um that a decision comes soon Um, And, you know, you always hope for adults in Washington, D.C., and, you know, you're never uh, not, you know, you're never not disappointed uh, every time. You want to see Jay Powell keep that job? um, Yeah, I think he's, you know, I I think that's. That's not a ringing endorsement. No, you know, I think I think it's mixed reviews. You know, I don't think it's um, you know a lightning rod issue where it's um, you know the the economy is going to collapse based on uh, him or someone else. Yeah. Um, but I do think some stability and some responsible decision making out of the White House and Congress, both Republicans and Democrats, is what's needed to restore. You know, like you said, the markets don't like this. The markets don't like instability, Correct. prices, inflation. None, none of the economic um, uh, indicators. Uh, like instability or uh, uncertainty, that's right, which we have in spades every, every day is uh, almost more uncertain than the last. And I think yeah. uh, President Biden needs to make a concerted effort to show that he's making decisions, explaining those decisions. That he needs to be in front of the press more explaining these decisions, um, or at least the There's surrogates a do.
4: a news conference, maybe <laughs> yeah. imagine a primetime news conference in 2021. Jeannie, the story on the terminal. As I read, White House team weighing Fed sees no issue with Powell Trades. What? I thought the others were doing the trading. Top White House officials do not believe that Powell's sale of shares in a stock index fund last year disqualify him. From being appointed to a second term according to people familiar i suspect elizabeth warren would not agree with that how about you genie
6: <laughs> i sp- suspect not as she called him dangerous you know it, it is fascinating to me we're still talking about you know trading that's something that we shouldn't have to talk about with any of these people yes. but i do think given the inflationary numbers out yesterday at least in my reading that actually helps jerome powell mm-hmm. potentially keep his spot um, on the fed it might be a little harder for the president to take a step towards Lale Brainerd or somebody else who's right. less hawkish on the inflation because issue.
4: Because a Brainerd uh chairmanship would be lower rates for longer, right? Jeannie Shanzano, and a great conversation with our panel, Chapin Fay, Republican strategist. Many thanks to both of you for being with us for the hour here. How about we deal with Congress in trading while we're at it as well? Meet you back here tomorrow on Sound On. This is Bloomberg.